1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start now in a study in the book of 1 Timothy on Sunday mornings. 1 Timothy is a great book. It really, it's, it's personal and it's, it, well, Paul, the Apostle Paul had several young guys that he mentored in the ministry. And it's so important to do that, to give young guys a chance to, to flourish in the ministry because, you know, we're all getting older. And as you get older, you become sometimes more crotchety, a little less effective, and you just realize your, your days are somewhat numbered. And the tendency sometimes is to wait until you get really old and then pass the baton to somebody who's just not quite as old as you are. But the wise thing to do, and what Paul did, is he found guys who were really young, and from an early, from an early age, he gave them opportunities and, and, and entrusted ministries to them. And Timothy was one of the main ones. There were a lot of others as well. Timothy grew up, perhaps without a dad, his mother and his grandmother are the ones who, who raised him. But Paul became like a father figure to him and, and was hugely influential on him and, and entrusted ministries to him. When Paul had been in Ephesus, which was a church that Paul stayed at for a long time, founded the church and really ministered to the people. But when Paul left Ephesus, he left Timothy to pastor that church. And so 1 Timothy is a letter that he was writing to him to remind him of things that mattered. Remind him of things that he needed to take care of within the church as Paul had moved on. And it oozes with personal intimacy and care and trust and confidence and encouragement and all those things. But it was something that was important enough that was ultimately shared with all the church and the Holy Spirit had inspired it and it became a part of the scriptures themselves because there's that much that's here in, the, in these six chapters. And so it'll be a blessing to us. We're a part of the church. The church was, the body of Christ was founded on the day of Pentecost, and it will continue until the day that Jesus returns for his church. And so we're all a part of that which Paul was concerned about. And I would suggest to you that things haven't changed all that much that the conditions that were around in those days are very similar to today. And the dangers that Paul saw for the church in those days are dangers that still exist today to a, to a great extent. So I think we'll find this book helpful and interesting and, and hopefully encouraging and uplifting as well. Paul starts out, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Um, it's interesting, it refers to God our Savior and, and to the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. And of course, Jesus is called our Savior many times. Again, another, another scripture that, that points out that in fact, Jesus is God. But Paul understood that he was sent by God. That's what apostle means. But it was by the commandment of God. And it's so important when we're doing things for God that we ultimately find out what is it that God has told me to do? It's not enough to just do something that you like to do or that you want to do or to do things that people want you to do or you know you feel there's a great need for you to do it. Now, it kind of starts that way. You don't just instantly maybe hear from God and here's exactly what your life's calling is. 
But we all sort of, we become Christians and we kind of dabble in things wherever there's an opportunity. But eventually, as you minister in different ways and serve in different areas and with different people, you begin to discover more and more that God has a very specific plan for your life. And there are things that you do that you just sense the Spirit working when you do those things. And eventually that gets whittled down to the direction of the ministry of your life. And for Paul, he had definitely discovered as he said, for this I was born and for this came I into the world. He knew that what he was doing was more than just sharing some good ideas. He was saying, what I am doing, I'm commanded by God to do it. And if you don't know what it is that God has commanded you to do, I strongly encourage you to really seek God. As you dabble in opportunities that come up, ultimately, though, to have the central focus to be, okay, God What is it that you really want me to do? Because we should never be satisfied just saying, I'm getting by, it's going okay, people seem to be pleased with me. Ultimately, the responsibility of each one of us is to find out what is the commandment of God for my life, and then to obey that commandment. To do otherwise is just to do a little of this, a little of that, to be frustrated, to come up short. There are some people who who have a certain idea about the commandment of God in their life, and they try and try and try and try, and it just doesn't click. If that's the way it is, maybe you need to be open to God having a different commandment for your life. But eventually, to get to the point, ultimate satisfaction comes when you get to the point where you go, I know what I'm doing, and I'm doing it because God told me to do it. And Paul had that great sense. And of course, he's passing that confidence on to Timothy, and he makes it very clear throughout this book that, Timothy, I know what you're commanded to do. And I see you, and I I pray that you'll fulfill the ministry that God has given to you. Throughout 1st and 2nd Timothy, that's kind of a recurring theme. This isn't something that I've cooked up. This is something that God has told me to do. And That's why I'm doing it. As a result, Paul could very confidently speak to the problems that existed there in Ephesus. He could very confidently speak to the personal nature of how Timothy ought to be conducting himself in the ministry. Because he's going, I'm not just giving you my opinion. God commanded me to give this to you. And he says, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. I like that. That's really cool to, that they had that kind of a relationship, that he was like a son in the faith, around the things of the faith. He was confident that Timothy had the kind of faith that he had you know, desired to see develop in Timothy. And he gives this little greeting, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He so often, Paul starts with grace. For Paul, grace is what it's all about. In fact, in this section that we're going to look at today, he starts off talking about grace, and in verse 11, he ends up talking about the gospel and the glorious gospel, and that's what it all was for Paul. It's all about that good news of God's grace. Grace means that that God sent his son to die for you, to forgive your sins, rose from the dead, and that benefit is free. He will forgive your sins without you having to do anything. 
The great news, you don't have to become religious. You don't have to follow a certain list of rules. You don't have to turn yourself into something that you aren't. You don't have to make yourself acceptable to God. He accepts you right now, instantly, today, because of what Jesus Christ <coughs> did on the cross. And that message of grace is great news, because if the message is anything other than grace, None of us could make it. It just wouldn't happen for us. So unless God has given away something for free, you might as well get out of line because the price that it would cost, you can't afford. So either it's free or it's not yours. And Paul understood grace and stressed it constantly. And of course, mercy means that as a result of God's grace, he doesn't give you what you really deserve. And then peace, we talked about last week, and this is something that Paul loves talking about as well. The fact that you can have that sense that everything's okay. Even if there's turmoil around you, you just understand that God's going to work things out. Peace is the opposite of panic. Peace is the opposite of stress. Peace is the opposite of being all wound up all tight and, and being nervous and biting your fingernails. And Paul understood, even as tough as life is, he said, when you understand grace and mercy, you'll end up being at peace. You know it's going to be okay. You're not going to be panicking. And so after giving this little blessing from God and the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, he says, now he gets into his, his main topic of this, of this book, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia. Now remember, just to give you a little geographical perspective, if you can picture in your mind the Mediterranean Sea as being that big ocean in the middle of Asia and Europe, and over on the far east side of the Mediterranean Sea is Israel that runs up and down the coast of Israel. Down below would be Egypt, and up above would be the Arab countries. Now, as you're looking at the Mediterranean Sea, if you come just west of that, there's a piece of land that, let's see, if you're looking at me, it's mirrored over. If Israel's over here, there's a piece of land that juts down into the Mediterranean Sea, and we call that Asia Minor. Today, it's Turkey. And that's where most of the churches are that Paul founded. And, and that's where Ephesus is. Now, if you come across the Mediterranean a little further, there's a boot that comes down that's Greece. And you come over a little bit further to the west, and there's another booth that's Italy and where Rome is and the Vatican and all that. So Paul had been there in Ephesus, and he was leaving to go to Macedonia, or he was leaving Ephesus to come over to Greece, and that's when he put Timothy in charge. And he said, when that happened, I told you, I urged you, I encouraged you. Timothy probably wondered if he was ready to be a pastor, but Paul was going, no, you can do this to remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. See, right away, Paul understood, especially when he left and he was a strong leader, he was afraid of them teaching some other doctrine. He was concerned that they would add to the simplicity of the gospel. See, Paul was a guy who always understood that he had a simple message. His message was the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. He said, I only preach one thing. I preach Christ and him crucified. My one sermon, my one story is 
Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead. You can put your faith in him and your whole life can start over again. That was all that Paul was interested in really talking about. Everything else he talked about was in order to plug in some details to call attention to the glorious gospel of grace. But he understood how people are. And people want to complicate things. Everybody thinks, oh, the gospel's great, but that's so simple. Isn't there, how about the advanced version? How about the next more interesting things? And we still do this today. And, and that's kind of human nature. Whenever you teach people stuff, they want to get to the advanced class. I saw, you know, I was taking, packing some books up to take them down to Cuba. And I've been dabbling around trying to learn a few Spanish words just so that I could order a taco or something. And, and you know, and I, and I found on my shelf... Spanish for dummies, the advanced one, the advanced version. I'm like, I never got through Spanish for dummies one. What made me so optimistic that I actually bought the next one? It was probably on sale or something, but it's, that's the way everyone is. We're like, uh, okay, yeah, I understand the basics, but now what can I get down to? I always learned this when I used to teach karate, when I taught martial arts. The basic martial arts is if you stand right and you hit someone real hard, they'll go down. And it's really as simple as that. It's not brain surgery. It's not real complicated. But you come to a karate class, people do not want to just keep throwing a punch over and over and over again because that's boring. They would like to learn how to do some Bruce Lee movie move they saw in a movie where you jump up and spin around twice and throw a hooking heel kick to the back of somebody's head. And, then they, and that's just what people want. So they come in the first day and they want to, oh, when do we get nunchucks or something, you know? And it's like that everywhere. Somebody comes the first day of basketball practice, they want to know how to dunk like Michael Jordan. But in every area, whether in music where the teacher says, you need to learn your scales. Oh, I don't want to play scales. You know, I want to play Stairway to Heaven. And it's like, <laughs> no, you can do everything you need to do musically if you really understand scales, but that's not what we want to do. We want to do something flashy. We want to do something that's more advanced. And that's just the way people are. That's just, it, it, I remember we had a, at Calvary, High school, we had a wrestling coach, John Azevedo, who was one of the best coaches in the world anywhere, and he was on the 1980 U.S. Olympic team, and, and he came in, we had this little school, 200 students, and he started a wrestling team. And it was amazing to watch John coach, he's the coach at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo now, he had been at University of Notre Dame, University of Wisconsin, and John would just endlessly teach a single leg takedown. It's the most basic move in wrestling, single leg takedown. Now, I watch other teams, and they're trying fancy arm drags and throws and all kinds. John's just like, learn the single leg. And then he adds to it a modification of it, a high crotch, and maybe goes to a single leg to a double leg. And that's basically it. If you can do, those, if you can do a single leg and you know how to stop a single leg, you can win a wrestling match. And our wrestling team, people would say we're boring, but we, 
with a little school, 200 kids, we won the state championship against over 800 schools. No other school in the top 50 had less than 2,000 students. And again and again. And kids kept doing that single leg, and that took them through high school to state championships. It took them, made them all Americans. It took them through college. The truth is, today in the UFC, if somebody has a real good single leg takedown, they can win. But that's boring. And so people don't want to do that, so everybody else is coaching all kinds of fancy stuff when if they just learn a single leg, they could win. Now, what the single leg takedown is to wrestling, the gospel is to life and theology. It's that simple. And you can sit there and accept the simplicity and the brilliance of it, or you can go on to fancier stuff and think that you're getting more sophisticated. But that was Paul's concern, because he goes, man, there's a bunch of people there that want to be Bruce Lee when they really ought to just learn the basics and stick with the gospel. Because Paul, after all his years in ministry, still understood, you know what? I really have one message that matters. I have one message that can change people's lives. I have one message that can change the world. And it's a very simple message. And people can look on me and think that I'm stupid. Paul wasn't stupid. He was brilliant. And there were times when Paul veered off into some fancy philosophical thinking and everything. And, you know, that's fine. But his heart was to go, no, when it comes down to it, it's really simple. You're messed up. Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead. He can give you a new life. You just have to believe in him by faith, and his grace will save you. And if you live in the light of that, it'll change everything about your life. When, when we come to Christ, that's all we need to know. And it's ironic that some people, when they're new Christians, it's amazing. They go and share their faith with others, and they lead other people to the Lord very naturally, very simply. But sometimes after they're a Christian for a while, they start to either get interested in more complicated things, or they get afraid. And they're like, I'm afraid somebody's going to ask me about what about the pygmies in Africa, or how could a whale swallow a guy, or something like that, and I'm not going to know what to say. And so we either go study whale swallowing guys, or you know, the, the philosophy of the problem of evil, or whatever, and we leave the message that's our move. That's, that's what's powerful. And Paul's just going... I know that's happening, and Timothy, when I, when I encouraged you to go, to stay there and to pastor that church, I said, make sure that you don't let people complicate things. Again, I urged you, remain there that you charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There is nothing else. There's nothing to be added to it. It's a very simple message, and you stick with that simple message. I'll have to confess, I've spent a lot of time in my life complicating things, having discussions that were fruitless, getting distracted from the simplicity of the gospel so that I could impress people with how smart I was, so that I could enjoy that kind of banter that goes back and forth to discuss all the deep problems. It's so ironic that what Christians spend most of their time discussing is what the Bible isn't clear on. Now, if God isn't really clear on it so that good people can disagree on, on an interpretation, should that be where we spend our time? Should, or do you think those are the important things? What's important are the things that God has made very clear. Now, Paul goes on, 
And he says, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. We don't know what all the fables and endless genealogies he was talking about, but he's putting down anything that causes a dispute rather than that brings about edification or building people up. So he's going, just look at the result of what you're doing. Is it ending up getting you in some great fights? Or is it building other people up? Does it seem to be giving them something that helps them? And the key phrase there is, at the end of the verse, godly edification, which is in faith. Faith means that you believe something because God said it, and even though you don't have all the evidence and you don't have all the answers, you trust him, and therefore you're choosing to accept what he has to say. Faith does not mean that you understand it all, that you can solve it all, that you can win every argument. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Faith means that you're secure enough that you don't feel like you have to have all the answers, that you know what you know. And that's the power that started the church. I think of Peter and John when they came to the temple there in Acts chapter 4, or Acts chapter 3, and then were answered to the authorities in Acts chapter 4. There's a lame guy sitting there. He hasn't walked his whole life. And he goes, hey, can I have some money? And Peter and John looked at him and they said, we don't have any money, but we'll give you what we have. And the guy's like, oh, great. Another guy giving me advice instead of money. But they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Okay. He stood up and walked. Then the guy starts jumping around, dancing. He's all excited. People are going, hey, how come you can walk now? He's like, I don't know. Ask those guys. So they go to those guys and And they said, well, it's because of Jesus. So they called them on the carpet. The religious leaders brought them in, and they're like, we got to get to the bottom of this. And he said, and Peter said, so there's a guy whose whole life was messed up, and now he's running around. You have a problem with that? You want to know the explanation? Well, remember Jesus, just a few weeks ago, you guys killed him? He was the fulfillment of what the Bible was saying the Messiah would be. And what we know is this, he died and he rose again, he ascended into heaven. And it's by his power that this lame guy is walking. We don't have any other explanation other than that. You guys may know the Old Testament better than we do. You have all these qualifications. The high priest was there, the former high priest was there. And it's like, they just said, look. And the religious leader said, well, Tell you what, just shut up about Jesus, okay? And Peter said, well, you tell me. If God's telling me one thing and you're telling me another thing, what should I do? And besides that, all I'm doing, we are just telling people what we saw and heard. That's it. You want to argue with that? Argue with it. But we're witnesses, that's all. We're not... We're not going to, you know, trying to overthrow you guys. We don't have some kind of an agenda. Yeah, you're way more educated than we are, but I know what I saw. I know what happened to me. And see, ultimately, that's the kind of faith that saves people. By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. Religious people will miss the message almost every time because they don't want to have to have faith. They want explanations for everything. And the more you try to get explanations, often what you'll do is you'll leave the beauty of what that faith always is. Now, there are some people who just love disputes. But is that what God is calling us to? There are many people who use that verse in Jude where he says, contend earnestly for the faith. And they're like, yeah, I'm contending earnestly. Contend earnestly for the faith. For the fact that you just need to believe it. You tell what God has done. What's the faith? And, and so often what we want to do is like get the most brilliant philosophers to address all the philosophical issues that are involved. We want to discover through science that new piece of information. We want people who are digging in the ground to find the ark. And, you know, once, man, if we could just find the ark in Ararat, imagine how many people. No, people don't get saved from evidence. People get saved by faith. And, and hey, I hope they find the ark. I'd love to see Noah's ark, the ark of the covenant, and whatever. That'd be great, but is that really what's important? Is that really what matters? If I even take an atheist and I can talk to him philosophically enough to get him to go, you know, you're probably right. I'm not an atheist. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll be an agnostic. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> even to go, okay, I believe there's a God who must have been involved in the design of the world. If that guy doesn't accept Jesus Christ as his savior, I wasted my time. And he's, he's doomed forever. And Paul understood that. And he's saying, you can either teach the truth and present it to people by faith, or you can get yourself in arguments, and that's going to get you nowhere. That's a dead-end street, and it always is. And please don't get me wrong. Like I say, I love to argue, and I, and I like thinking deeply because I love for, you know, I like to confuse people or make them feel, hmm, maybe, or whatever, but it's never saved anyone. It only, it only either causes me to go, ooh, that's a good one. I better come up with a good answer for that. And then I go do it. And by that time, they're not even interested anymore. But people don't get saved from that kind of stuff. Paul goes on to say, here's the purpose of the commandment. Here's what we're preaching. Here's what comes from Real working of the Holy Spirit. Purpose of the commandment is love. From a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Anyone who's arguing theology and it doesn't come across like real love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith, they're contrary to the message that can change the world. People may end up thinking, well, they're pretty smart. But they're not going to make a difference in people's lives. The, the bottom line of Christianity is a life of love. Paul said that over in 1 Corinthians 13. You can do all this other stuff. You can have so much faith, you can move mountains. You can speak in the tongues of men and angels. You can give yourself so much that you give your body to be burned. But if you don't have love, it's not going to matter. If there are two approaches and one of them is loving and one of them isn't, the one that isn't isn't from God. Now, there are a whole lot of people who reject Christianity 
Because they see how many weirdos there are in Christianity. They see the fanatics. They see the people who are just, it seems like when you really get into Christianity, it like turns you kind of nuts. But that's a mistake. I mean, I'll own the nuts. We do. We have a, we have a real assortment of them. Just like, but you know, hospitals are full of sick people, but they're not sick because they're in the hospital. They came to the hospital because they were sick. And the, the kind of people that come off really kooky and, and argumentative and everything, those aren't the people who are, you know, some people think, oh, they're just too into Christianity. No, they're not. They're not into it enough. They're not into it enough to move toward the goal of being more like Jesus. Nobody thought Jesus was nuts. It, they were like amazed that he loved everyone, that he reached out to everyone, that he was so kind, that he, that he was so giving and, and caring and gracious and forgiving. That's what bowled people over. If that's not you, then you need to go a little further into Christianity. Oh, you probably have great arguments for all the stuff that you believe. You can go, you know, pick your side. You can argue Calvinism, argue Arminianism, and, and win both sides of the argument. You can just prove you know, the, scientifically, molecularly, genetically, that, you know, creation and a young earth or an old earth or whatever it is that you want to prove. You can prove Noah. You can prove, you can prove everything. Have explanations for tectonic plates and all. But if there's no love, that doesn't mean anything. You know, that's not what it's about. And so he goes, here's what Christianity looks like when it works. Love, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. You get off from that, you're distracted. You're getting off track. You're getting pulled off message. You're losing the focus of what it is that we have to communicate. He says, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Some people at one time had this simple message and now they're off into other things, and it's like they're idling. Their mouth is just moving. The lips are flapping. They have a lot to say about things that no one cares about. They have answers to questions that no one's even asking. And their whole point is, look how smart I am. Look how devoted I am. Look how different I am. And people are like, yeah, well, I don't want to be like you, so sorry. He goes, no, God, this is a real danger. That many people who at one point understood the simplicity of this message have gone on and turned into something that's just idling instead of driving and moving down the road. And he said, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Some of these people were legalists. They were ones who would say, I am really advanced. And I can pretty much tell you everything that's right and wrong. In fact, I'll tell you how to live. I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you what you shouldn't do. I have a great reason for all of it. And righteousness looks like me. So if you'll do things like I do, these are the kind of people who like will just totally rip on somebody if they smoke a cigar, but they think nothing of coming to a church potluck and eating half a cake. And it's like, uh, how does this work? Well, because I make the rules, that's why. And to me, a cake is something that's godly. A cigar is something that's horrible. He said, you guys don't even get the law. You're legalists, and you don't even understand what the law is about. 
And check this out, and I'm out of time, but I'm going to get through these verses anyway. Um, he said, we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. It's made for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. He goes, okay, you legalists. Do you understand what the law is for? The law isn't something that we are to live by. The law was just to show you how messed up you are. So pick your sin. If you were in that sin, the law goes, something's unhealthy here. The word that he used for sound doctrine literally means healthy teaching. And it's like, he's going, the point of the law is for you to admit that you are in the category of people that are destroying themselves. That's what it's there for. It's not ever to make you look good or to make you look righteous, or to make you feel superior to somebody else. To use the law in that way is to miss the point of the law. The law is the perfect setup for grace. And grace is the message. Grace is the truth, the gospel, the good news. That's what matters. I'm not going to argue with somebody about their sin. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say, you know, somebody can go, you know, it says they're sodomites, but... I don't think that that was really referring to homosexuality. I think that was referring to, to being uh, inhospitable. Okay, let's go with that. Are you, are you really all that hospitable? Are you really godly in all the other ways? Can you honestly look at the list of sins and go, yep, haven't done any of those? If you can do that, congratulations. You don't need the gospel. You're not ready for the gospel. The point of the law, the point of every commandment that the Bible gives defining sins is so that we'll figure out we're in trouble. We'll figure out we're messed up. I need somebody to help me. Now, there are two kinds of people, people who understand they're messed up and people who don't. And if you're a person who doesn't think you're messed up, I got nothing for you. But if you're a person that understands that you're messed up, Pick the sin. I don't care. You sit there and make excuses and say, oh, I never killed my mother. Uh, okay, fine. You know, have you ever been unthankful? Have you ever violated anything else? Have you ever been rude to somebody? Then go with that. If, it's, if some sin has too much of a, you know, then how'd you get so messed up? How can you explain what your life is like? How'd this happen to you? Somebody else do it to you? Fine. Then you're okay. You don't need the gospel. And, you know, I, I say this sincerely and lovingly. Hell is going to be full of people who just think they didn't need help. And when they get to hell, that's not going to change. They're not going to all of a sudden go, oh, man, I wish. I don't believe, I don't see anything in the Scripture that says that hell is full of people with all kinds of regrets. Hell is full of people who don't want help. And so that's where you end up. That's how come your life becomes such a hell. Eternity just is the fact that, man, you're going to live in consciousness forever, 
And you're going to spiral more and more away from God, away from his love, away from his knowledge, and you're going to stubbornly insist on doing it because that's just the way you live your life. And the gospel has nothing for you. Hey, go ahead and spend eternity blaming somebody else for the way that you are or understand, I messed up. I'm a sinner. I look at what God says and I'm like, I need help. And that's all the gospel is supposed to do, is give you that help. And so you understand you need help? He offers and provides help. The glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul goes, I get to take that message, and now I'm telling you, you get to also. But it's always about faith. You know, I'm... I'm tired of trying to spend a bunch of time talking people into things that they're really not going to believe in anyway. They really, because I can give them more evidence and they come up with more excuses. The Bible never labors the point. God never tries to defend himself. He never lays out a great philosophical discussion of how to present all this. He doesn't make excuses. He just says, look, here it is. This happened. Believe it or not, either either you realize that you can't do it on your own, now what other solution do you have? I'm offering you one. Or let life go a little further, and maybe eventually you'll get to the point where you realize that you need help. But if you don't need help, God has nothing for you. And, And that's true for all of us. If you think that you've advanced to the point where really you don't need any more help? If you think that, you know what, I haven't done anything in months that was damaging or hurtful to anyone, you're an idiot. (laughs) But fine, go ahead and believe that. Because the gospel is only good news to people who know they're messed up. You quit knowing that, you lose. And you want to have an argument, you win. I don't care. I'm not gonna. I don't get. You know. I don't get paid by commission. Like on how many piecework? How many people come agree with me on my faith? Believe it or not, if it, if you if you don't see in my life and in the lives of others around you, if you don't see that Jesus really does a job of turning us around, oh well. Sorry, this is the only message we have. I don't have any idea about how to fix the world other than the gospel. I don't really have any interest in trying to fix the world without the gospel. I'm a one-trick pony. That's the gospel. Love to break that phone. But, (laughs) But see, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you're a young pastor. And you got the message. But there's going to be people around you who complicate it. And they're going to want to pull you off into all kinds of fun arguments. And they're going to want to, you know, I, Pastor, I think we need to teach a little bit more of this. I think we need a little more politics or a little more science or a little more this or a little more that. He goes, no way. Paul's going, I'm an old dude, and I'm telling you, I haven't found anything that changes people's lives like the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what matters, and that's what you are to teach. 
and don't get distracted by anything else and don't argue about anything else and don't run the risk of winning arguments and losing people's souls. Stick with what you know. Stick with the simple truth of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. If somebody wants to reject that God gave himself, died and rose again, and history has been changed, if they have a problem with that because of a story about a guy getting swallowed by a whale, I don't care. Go find some other explanation then. Go fix your life some other way. But faith is either you believe what God says or you don't. And, you know, there are all kinds of things. After studying the Bible, really, myself personally, for over 50 years, so I started reading the Bible when I was two, and <laughs> seriously, um, ask my mom. But, but, you know, believe me, there's all kinds of stuff in here I don't understand, and there are going to be all kinds of things in here that you don't understand, but I believe all of it. And I know what the gospel is. I know you enough to know you're sinners. And I know Jesus. Because <laughs> this is the only explanation I can think of why you'd come here and listen to me. But I know what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I know what that means to all of us. We're forgiven if we put our faith in him. And we can live free and peaceful and under his mercy and his grace. And we can be loved and we can love others. We're, we're set free to do that. The opportunity is there. He hands it to us. And that's the only message I know of that's worth spending time on, that's worth sharing with others. A simple, profound message that has changed the world, has changed each of our lives who have put our trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. After a couple thousand years, not much has changed. People still want to get more clever and complicated. But Lord, I thank you that your message is simple and clear and plain and unambiguous. It's almost impossible to even argue about the gospel People figure out ways to. But this is a great, powerful message. And it's the message that we've been called to share with those around us. Help us to not get sidetracked. Help us to not lose our focus. Help us to not get off point. Help us to stick with the one thing that is the power of God to everyone who believes. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.